Everybody and welcome to the April 14th, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on U.S. Representative Mike Kaufman making national news this week following a statement he made in reference to White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer at a town hall meeting on Wednesday. Kaufman said he doesn't think Spicer is, quote, serving the president well and, quote, needs to go in response to a citizen asking about the press secretary's comments regarding Hitler. Patty Calhoun from Westward Mike Hoffman's town hall made a lot of headlines locally for the tone, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But these comments by Sean Spicer made national news. What did you make of them? Well, he should send the person who asked him that question flowers because all of a sudden, Mike Hoffman, who hadn't had a town hall meeting since the start of the year, is making national news. It's PR 101 that you do not ever bring up Hitler unless maybe you're talking about Hitler on you're in Germany and it's a horrible anniversary there, but it never is going to go well. And I think sooner or later we will see that Sean Spicer is gone. And fortunately, there's probably going to be an opening at United Airlines for a PR person. That or Pepsi-Cola. Uh, David Copel of the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Do you think the town hall was a success for Kaufman, seeing the, the kind of crowd he had and uh, some of the questions we saw that it was pretty brutal in, in some highlight reels? Yes, because he, he came out and he, he answered the questions and, and uh, gave the people who actually wanted to ask a question and listen to an answer. Uh, the appropriate opp opportunity, and, and often town halls will will draw the people who are upset about something, and not the ones who want to. Maybe the majority want to come and congratulate you for for what you're doing. Uh, in, in terms, if you're in the White House and thinking of, are there reasons we should fire Spicer? I don't think this gets into the, the top five. What he was saying awkwardly was a similar point that Chris Matthews had made in 2013 also about Assad and that even if Hitler hadn't used chemical weapons on the battlefield, which is true, but the error of both Spicer and Chris Matthews is that it wasn't because Hitler was in that respect a nicer fellow than Assad. It was because military experience in World War I had demonstrated that when the other side has gas masks, which both sides did in World War II, chemical weapons don't really get you very far. Uh, they're, they're good for a surprise when the other side doesn't have gas masks, which is why Assad they used them against a civilian population, but against soldiers who were prepared, um, it's kind of pointless. So it, it doesn't, contrary to what, Assad, what Spicer and Matthews think, it doesn't really show anything particularly about Assad's character versus Hitler's character, that one used him on the battlefield and the other didn't. Penfield Tate, attorney with QTAC Rock. If you're Mike Kaufman's advisor, does he need to have more town halls, even if he's going to get beat up and be on local TV getting these hard questions, or is it better to try to have a few less of them? 
Now, if you're Mike Kaufman's advisor, first you need to make sure the public gives him his props for even having a town hall meeting, unlike his colleague, Cory Gardner, who's doing the bob and weave with constituents and doing these telephonic town hall meetings. Uh, Mike took some hits, but, you know, I think he's going to gain credibility with his constituents because he stood there, looked them in the eye, and answered some tough questions. And they didn't like everything he had to say by way of answer, but he stood there in front of them and answered questions, which is more than can be said for Cory Gardner and some others. Uh, the other piece of this, Sean Spicer, I mean, he needs to go, but he's simply a reflection of what's been part of what's been wrong with this administration up to this point, which is short on substance, unfortunately, and long on sloganeering and trying to be glib and cute. And in doing so, they have both been um, revealed their incompetence, but also offended and alienated people when it was absolutely unnecessary. I can't imagine Melissa McCarthy's uh, hosting of SNL uh, tomorrow is going to do him any favors, but we'll see. Uh, rounding up the panel, Erica Meltzer, uh, assistant editor at DenverWrite.com. Thanks for joining us. What did you think of both the comments about Sean Spice, which kind of ended a pretty raucous town hall, and that wouldn't have been the headline. A lot of other comments made in town hall would have been uh, if that didn't make national news. What did you make of everything? You know, I, I saw that there was a lot of folks, uh, folks on the left who were actually upset that the Spicer comments got all the attention. They wanted the headline to be Mike Kaufman gets beat up and doesn't give real answers to these angry constituents. It was an interesting moment because when he got that question, I felt like he was going to start explaining what Spicer really meant. And then he kind of paused. And I don't know if he was reading the room or thinking, do I really want to defend this guy? And then he just said, he needs to go. And it was, it was a surprising moment, just a very frank moment. Let's get to it. From behind the driver's seat in a car, Democratic candidate Carrie Kennedy announced via Facebook Live that she is joining the race for governor in the 2018 election. Meanwhile, according to the Colorado Statesman, Republican gubernatorial candidate Victor Mitchell plans to release campaign numbers showing up to $3 million raised in the last quarter, made up almost entirely by a loan from himself. Patty, we've been talking about the governor's race for the last couple of weeks, but we had some new developments. We have... Uh, at the very least, an inventive way to announce you're running for governor, driving behind the wheel of a car, which didn't seem to give a smooth introduction for Kerry Kennedy. What were your thoughts? Well, that Mike Johnston must be kicking himself that he didn't do it on a skateboard. when he <laughs> Instead, he just concentrated on going out and starting to raise money, too. So he had those very impressive first quarter numbers. Or, you know, we could have had Ed Perlmutter in a kayak or on a bicycle. Facebook Live is a great tool, and it's good. To, you can actually communicate with people. They can watch you. They can send in plenty of comments. But with everybody's concerns about safe driving, even with all the assurances we've had that they cleared the way, and she did, I did catch her looking both ways. There was a little, uh, it sounded like someone was opening a door, or maybe they hadn't put their seatbelt on, if you were listening. There was a little beep, beep, beep. Um, it, it wasn't the smartest way to do it, but it certainly got people talking. Now the and it wasn't so embarrassing that it is a huge misstep. The question right now is, how will she take off? How strong is her group that let her do this in the fundraising? That's a good point. Uh, David, let's get, get to that point. I don't think there's going to be any voters in the primary election next uh, June that are going to say, oh, wait a second, she had that video where she announced, made her announcement. But the funders that her and Perlmutter and Johnston are all calling right now, in addition to Noel Ginsburg and probably a couple more folks we're forgetting, uh, they will see that. They, that will be on top of mind. Is that going to be a problem? Yes. Uh, the 
title of this thing, I think, was Smart Woman, Foolish Choices. She did... It's terrible in, in every possible sense. It's extremely unsafe driving. And then the excuse is, well, it was actually fake driving because we cleared the road and she, you know, wasn't sort of really just driving her kids home from school and talking. It was all, it was kind of a, a, a stage play. Some people will hear about that and that just makes it all the more inauthentic. And what if you're somebody who is not following politics all the time, but you, you, you saw this as a share and maybe, you know, you kind of heard the name Kerry Kennedy, but this is sort of the first time you've you're maybe thinking about her. Well, what you think is, why is this woman driving while she's reading from a script, obviously looking at the script from time to time, and, you know, you may not find out, well, actually, this, this whole thing was a fake, so she really wasn't as dangerous as she wants to, as she apparently made it look. If I were a casual voter, that would be a turnoff. And if, if you're a donor, of course, it, it's a strong, important early sign of competence. She has a reputation from her work in the, the state treasurer's office and, and then now the Denver city government as a very competent person, but she seriously undermined that. So if, I don't know, if I were thinking about writing a $500 check to her in, in the primary election as a Democratic donor, uh, th those kind of people might want might, to, might decide to hold back and, and wait a while to see how, if, if the campaign gets on its feet in a more solid way. Penn, we can look at both uh, the Kennedy announcement, but we also have uh, Victor, Mitchell, Victor Mitchell making this announcement. Now, a candidate funding his or her own campaign is not new, uh, nor is someone with deep pockets in this state new. Uh, Jared Polis has been able to make a lot of hay doing the very same thing. Does Victor Mitchell pose any problems for a George Brockler or possibly Walker Stapleton if he formally announces because of his deep pockets? It, he, Yes and no. Uh, you know, at this point, uh, what's interesting is we've got 18 candidates who have declared they're running, but only two have filed uh, the necessary paperwork with the Secretary of State. So it's going to be a very crowded field. Victor Mitchell loaning himself $3 million obviously helps him. But in a race like the governor's race, what you've got to do is have enough money to execute your campaign plan. But if you never raise your visibility, if you don't raise your awareness among voters, you can have $10 million. It's not going to matter. You're not going to win. And, and that's the important thing. So he's made his splash now. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it's the only splash he makes because he's loaned himself this money. Um, the thing about the Kennedy announcement that, that I find interesting is Kerry announced, I think, one or two days after Ed Perlmutter announced, but all you're talking about is Kerry Kennedy's Facebook post announcement. So good, bad, or indifferent, um, it had the, the effect of knocking Perlmutter out of the conversation um, for the short term. Eric, let's stick with that point. Um, publicity is publicity, whether it be uh, critical or positive. Is that a positive thing for Kerry Kennedy at this point, seeing how the announcement was a little bumpy? Yeah, I actually think that's a really good point because uh, I think a lot of people see Perlmutter as the favorite in this race, and it definitely helps raise her profile when her work at the city, I think, was a little more behind the scenes. Maybe not as it's been a while since she's been in this more prominent statewide role. And I certainly think it's it could have been a better start. It could have been a better start, but I think that's a really good point, and I don't think that voters are going to remember this a year and a half from now. That's a good point. 
Races in Colorado's congressional districts are already heating up. State Senator Andy Kerr and State Representative Brittany Peterson both announced their campaigns for the Democratic nomination to replace U.S. Representative Ed Perlmutter in CD7. Democratic Attorney Jason Crow announced that he'll run in CD6 in an attempt to defeat Republican incumbent Mike Kaufman. And Owen Hill has announced he will run as a primary opponent to Republican Doug Lamborn in CD5. Uh, David, we had a lot of developments this week. Which to you was the biggest deal? Um, Owen Hill challenging Doug Lamborn. Um, that seat was previously held for about two decades by Joel Hefley, who as far as I can remember, ne never had any primary challenges and actually never had any serious general election challenges. Lamborn has, has not had any close general elections, but he, he's had a number of primaries already, and the votes that those challengers got, you know, one was a former staffer, uh, suggests that there's some discontent there. Now that you have Owen Hill, who was a A-level a candidate, very strong, um, I, I think it's uh, it's possible Lamborn might might be defeated in the primary. In Mike Kaufman's district, it's I, I don't think the Democrats will draw a top tier candidate after they ran Andrew Romanoff and Morgan Carroll, both highest quality candidates, and neither of them actually ended up coming close. Uh, I, I think there may be some feeling of discouragement um, for the the highest quality candidates who want to get in. But that gives uh, you know the, the more unknown people uh, a chance to run, and as the lottery says, you can't win if you don't play. And the chance to beat Kaufman in 2018 is there's really one, but it's it's a it is there is an anti-Trump backlash that just sinks a lot of otherwise viable Republicans, as what happened with Democrats in '94 and 2010 with Obama, and what happened with Republicans with 2006 in Bush. So. It, if that happens, uh, then whoever's the lucky guy who gets the Democratic nomination could win. Pam, let's stay in CD6. Uh, we have Jason Crow, who's formally announced, and we have Rhonda Fields, State Senator Rhonda Fields, who is considering. She's, she's held some town hall meetings. It's more of a rumor state. But if you're the Democratic committee looking to really put the money behind, really, what should be the last big hurrah for Democrats to take on Kaufman, if they can't beat him in a midterm year with Trump as president, after, again, losing, as David said, with Andrew Romanoff and Morgan Carroll, it's going to be hard to put up something more. Where do you think that committee goes, a, a young veteran, a fellow veteran like Jason Crow, or a uh, seasoned local politician like Rhonda Fields, who has made a name for herself and other issues? I think the, the party needs to basically give both of them room to see who becomes the more viable challenger. When you look at this, you know, what's interesting about Mike Kaufman is the fact that, number one, during the election, he distanced himself from Trump early on. His own early TV commercials talked about the fact that he couldn't and would not support Trump. So he's sort of um, taken these preemptive strikes early on. The town hall meeting, he got beat up over his support for the, the, the legislation to repeal the Affordable Care Act, and his constituents gave him an earful. He ends up by saying Sean Spicer's got to go. So he's, he's beginning to prepare himself for a challenge. Jason Crow and Rhonda Fields are two very different candidates, but they also reflect sort of where the demographic is moving. Six and seven are probably the two most... Um, legitimately contestable seats in the congressional delegation in the state, where the mix of RD and, and unaffiliated is about a third, a third, a third. Kaufman knows that. I mean, the last campaign, you saw him surround himself with people from the, the 
um, immigrant community um, because he understood six is becoming more ethnically and racially diverse, which creates a seam for Rhonda Fields to, to be a viable challenger to him. So I, I think if you're the party, you let Jason and Rhonda get out there, work it up in a primary and see where the, the momentum heads before you, you start trying to push one candidate over the other. Eric, let's go back to CD7. Who has the edge, Andy Kerr or Brittany Peterson? That's, that's... Coin flip? I think, I think they both bring a lot to the table. Um, you know, Andy, Andy Kerr has... Uh, Um, you know, it's Brittany Peterson has, um, you know, she has a very compelling personal story, mm -hmm. and she's shared a lot of that story in the legislature um, with the work that she's done around opiate addiction and trying to get some more, um, some more work there. Um, so I think she can be very appealing. Um, you know, Andy Kerr's experience, I, th I think it could go either way. It uh, should be strong for either one of them. And right now we haven't seen a lot of big-name Republicans in that race either, so they're going to get a lot of support once someone comes out of the primary. Yeah, I think that's a, that's another place where there's an opportunity. Perlmutter's been very difficult to beat in that seat, and um, um, now it's an open seat, and we'll see what happens. Definitely. Patty, let's wrap it up. You have uh, CD5 making news, CD6, CD7. Who knows about next week, but take your pick from the big three. Well, the Owen Hill news is really big because wouldn't we love to see a new face down there who, who actually might still be conservative but also be very responsive and a little more on the planet than we've seen um, some of the things recently. You wonder what would happen if Diana DeGette decided she was going to leave because you can just see it as everyone is so thrilled that Perlmutter's leaving and they, clearly these guys have been ready to campaign for a while. How many people in, in Denver would be lining up for an open seat like that? I think, especially in Perlmutter's seat, it's fairly open. It's open to people. A good campaigner with a good campaign is going to make the difference. Obviously, raising money is going to help, but I don't think either starts out with a lead. With less than a month left in Colorado's legislative session, let's get a quick wrap-up on bills we're watching. The bill titled Sustainability of Rural Colorado passed the Senate Finance Committee. If approved, it would free up $350 million in funding toward rural schools, roads, and hospitals. Also, the $3.5 billion transportation bill also passed committee this week that would ask voters to raise taxes to $0.34 cents for $10 purchases and would, clo and would raise close to $576 million annually. Uh, Penn, you've been in the thick of this in the legislature. We have just a few weeks left in, in the session. Big-time money uh, around big-time issues. Transportation is something everyone agrees needs attention. What do you think we're going to see at the end of the session based on the bills we're seeing right now? We'll see a mess because fundamentally both of these bills address the major shortcoming of Tabor. And that is when you have good economic activity, even though there's been no new tax or increase of a tax rate, Tabor prohibits government at all levels from using the revenues that come in just from economic activity to fund the things that people say they want. And what it then drives is this series of choices where you're pitting rural Colorado against the rest of the state, where you're trying to contrive a way to rationalize a tax increase to fund necessary bridge and road repairs in the state. But the problem is we now, in many ways, have a community ethic that I think Tabor has fostered that has people think you can get something for nothing. That is, you can get all these schools and roads and everything and not pay for it. And the math just doesn't work. So what will happen is there will be a lot of debate, a lot of discussion. 
efforts to compromise, but I am worried that both of these bills are going to fall down just because of a partisan divide and the fact that the, the friction over Tabor and how it's been working is still so strong that we just don't have a consensus. Eric, what's the skinny of the Capitol? What are we going to see at these bills once they get to whatever finish line they're going to achieve? Well, the, um, the sustainability of the the bill to reclassify the hospital provider fee, that went from the Senate Finance Committee to appropriations, and then they tabled it, and right now it's not on the calendar, which is not a great place for a bill to be. And you have this fundamental, um, this fundamental disagreement between the two sides where the Republicans want to say, are saying, if we reclassify the hospital provider fee, we need to take money out of the rest of the budget so that we don't just have this continued growth of state government. And the Democrats feel like that completely defeats the purpose of reclassifying the hospital provider fee. The whole reason to do that is to free up money for the rest of the budget. So it's going to be very difficult, I think, to, to find that common ground there. I think the transportation bill is going is to come out of the legislature, but voters have not been real friendly to sales tax increases. So that's going to be an uphill battle. Patty, what do you think? Are we going to be voting on a sales tax increase for transportation this fall? I think we will be. I think I bet early on that because that's one of the things Coloradans, unless they happen to be riding the bicycles that Michael Hancock thinks we're all doing downtown so we can park, everyone is encountering problems on Colorado's roads. They've all hit those potholes. They've all hit those traffic jams. They've all hit bridges that are in disrepair. I think that's something Coloradans would stand up for. As for the hospital provider fee, we have talked about this so many times, and there, there's a possibility this time they will come up with a compromise right now. As we're taping this, Chrysanta Duran is in Hugo. If you've ever been to Hugo and you see what it means for them to have this hospital working there, you understand this is not a Democrat-Republican issue. It's not just rural-urban. I mean, it really is what kind of services can we give to the people out there who need them. So I think there's a possibility for a compromise. David, the, the Independence Institute clearly has a dog in this fight. You're, there's a, a proposal for your own ballot initiative. So just prognosticating between now and the end of the session, what do you think Colorado voters will be faced with as a result of the session? Well, what they should be faced with at the end of the session is the opportunity to exercise the choices that the Taxpayers' rights, Bill, of, Bill of Rights guarantees. The Taxpayers' Bill of Rights is the ideal instrument for long-term sustainability of state government because there's a tendency when the economy's up, if you don't have a control like Tabor, then they spend every possible penny and then inevitably the economy goes down and so now it's like, oh, we have to make tremendous huge cuts. Well, that's only because you raised spending at such astronomical levels when the money was coming in and now the normal business cycle's down. You've got less and you have to make cuts. Taxpayers' Bill of Rights says spending can automatically grow by population growth plus inflation. And if you want it to grow more, just go and ask the voters. That's why this so-called hospital provider fee is, is very wrong because it's an accounting trick to evade asking the voters. And if they have good ideas about what to spend extra money on, ask the voters and maybe they'll agree. The transportation tax increase is the right way to do it under Tabor. I, you ask them and if they want to do it, fine. I disagree with it because about half the money goes to a slush fund for counties and municipal governments with very little controls to make sure it's actually spent on improving the roads. For counties and, and cities, uh, road improvements are best funded through local tax measures where the county can say, 
if we raise the sales tax by this amount, we will spend it on the following road repair and improvement project, and the people of the county who understand that project best can decide or not, as opposed to getting a bunch of slush money uh, from the, the state government. Well, let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. I'm sorry to say, I'm going to go for too fast. At least Sean Spicer answers questions. The congressional offices whose press secretaries haven't called back for the last oh, week or so, maybe we'll name them next week. We'll give them a little more time. But right now, the pollsters who have been torturing people in Denver about this I-70 um, expansion, I mean, new project that's going on outside, it was leading, it was rude, it was not forthcoming. So whether it was funded by CDOT or who knows whom, it was a disgrace. David. Attorney General Sessions' recent remarks that he was surprised about how much criticism he got uh, for his fulminations about uh, legalization of marijuana. It shouldn't be a surprise. All you have to do is look at the election returns and you see in state after state after state millions of voters, majorities, saying it's time to end this, the war on marijuana users. So how can that be a surprise when tens of millions of people have already said that his idea is terrible? Penn. Because you don't acknowledge the fact that states' rights only applies to slavery and other things. Um, <laughs> it, Sean Spicer, uh, it, it's time for this administration to understand you've got to talk to people respectfully, intelligently, and substantively, and stop trying to entertain, be cute, be flip, because all they're doing is outraging people and offending them more and more. Erica. I'm going to go with whoever was running the Colorado GOP Twitter account during Mike Kaufman's town hall that was just fake protester, fake protester, fake protester. There was a whole process in place. Kaufman was criticized for this process to make sure that these were constituents. He represents a lot of people. Some of them disagree with him, uh, but everyone there was an actual constituent. And to Kaufman's credit, he did acknowledge that. Time to see something nice about somebody. Patty? Well, let's hope Jeff Sessions stays away next Thursday when Colorado celebrates its unofficial holiday, 420. The passage of Amendment 64 has not resulted in any of the dire consequences people predicted. David. Uh, as Passover and Holy Week remind us, sometimes when you exercise your God-given right of religious liberty, uh, other people try to kill you for doing so. And so the, the something nice is the very brave people of, of many different minority religions in the Middle East who persevere in the face of terrorists and of evil tyrannical governments like Saudi Arabia and Iran. You're here. Well Penn. said. Um, I wasn't here when this occurred, but I just another shout out to Chuck Berry. His passing um, was, was truly a loss for the music industry and just uh, the cultural identity of America in general. Erica. Uh, so I was also going to mention Passover and Easter. Uh, my colleague is making the pilgrimage to Chimayo today, and um, just one of those times of year where you connect with the past, and in our beautiful region here, we have so many opportunities to do that. Chimayo is one of the coolest places ever, and especially it's only six hours away from Denver. I, I, that's, that's a cool trip. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Next Tuesday, we premiere our big hour of comedies on Tuesday nights with IT Crowd Straight Out of Britain at 8 p.m. and Arab Labor, a comedy produced in Jerusalem, we're bringing to you every Tuesday at 8.30. You will not want to miss it. As always, check out the CIO podcast on iTunes and Google Play and our segments from the show on Facebook and Twitter. For everyone here at CPT12.org and Colorado Public Television, happy Easter, happy Passover. To everyone, I'm Dominic DeSuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Audio's having a tough day.